Hey, before we get in the episode today, I just want to take a reminder to let you guys all know the best place to follow along with news and what's going on with the Code of the West and the merch drop coming up in February is the Instagram. So that's at the Code of the West on Instagram. That's where I'll be talking about the drops, the times and the products and all the things that'll be coming up. So stay tuned there and let's jump into the podcast. Okay, so uh, yeah, episode three now, and we're kind of kind of cruising a little bit. Um, been looking at the analytics, and there's already about a hundred people who are subscribed to this. Which, once again, it's kind of like the Instagram and everything else. I'm constantly surprised by <laughs> anybody giving a shit. Uh, so, I, my original intention with this is not to have a podcast where I just tell you shit about myself. Uh, I feel like that's a little a little bit too, uh, well, I don't know, vulnerable. That's a word that comes up a lot to me, but I don't mind that so much. It's more like, I don't know that you all want to know that much about me, but there is one thing or one period of my life that I think is pretty important that is worth talking about because it's really what gave me my love for the West. And I talked about it in the first one, I think I've talked about in both ones. Sorry, I'm getting a drink of water. So the truck driver, my dad, uh, Rob Hunt. So the Hunts, they've been, they've been doing their thing for a while. Uh, Grandpa Hunt, Charlie Butch, uh, he and Judy, my grandma, they, they came to Columbus back in the day. Uh, They grew up in, you know, really rural areas of Ohio. And my grandpa started off sweeping the warehouse. I think it is cousin's business, if I remember correctly. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole old sort of family story about grandpa sweeping the warehouse. He would sweep it over and over and over and was allowed to basically just, just to make sure he kept, you know, earning money. There was no, there was no work to be done. You know, the whole, you got time to lean, you got time to clean thing. And eventually over the years, my grandpa learned how to drive. He learned how to dispatch. He was thrown into the deep end when he worked for a company called Global, which is no longer around, but it was a very, very big company at one point. And it was national, if not international, I think, which would make sense with the name. Uh, and eventually he, he and his, uh, you know, well, what became his partner, Ed Brown, they bought a business that was Ed's father's brown van and storage and they actually they were equal partners but they flipped for it to see who would be president who would be vice president and my grandpa ended up being the vice president but he was basically the operations guy he ran the day-to-day and ed did most of the sales stuff and grandpa did that stuff too and so that was the world my my dad came up in my dad my dad wanted to be a driver you know even though my grandpa ran the business and much like myself, my dad went and found mentors everywhere he could. You know, at first that would have been people at Browns, other local guys, over the road guys. And this is this is back in the 70s when like being a being a truck driver was being like a cowboy. If you've seen Convoy or <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit, which is still, depending on the day, either my number two or number one favorite movie I ever made, that kind of gives you an idea of what the culture was back then. Uh, in truck driving and and these guys were cowboys and so my dad grew up learning from from all these different people and you know some of these people were i mean we were in all this is ohio at the time and so you know you've got people from canada east coast south just kind of everybody's congregating and he would find the best people at certain things you know people who could back the trucks up people who could you know, maintain the trucks and, you know, figure out all the little quirky things about how to be the best driver possible. And 
So when I come into the picture in 85, my dad's an owner operator. He's been doing this for a little bit. He's, he's on the road all the time. And the only time I really am getting a chance to see him or spend time with him is when I get old enough, I can go on the trucks with him in the summertime. And when, when I was real little, like the San Jose stuff I was telling you about in one of those other podcasts, that was, that was my mom and I flying out and meeting him when he was doing these coast to coast runs. And I have memories of, there was like this little town where my mom used to get antique glass beads in this little cool shop. I remember it was like kind of a narrow, almost looks like Shakespeare and company in Paris. If you've ever seen that, it's just like, it's an old school storefront, uh, wooden frames, glass. And you went on the inside and there was just these kind of like trays of, of beautiful, amazing glass beads. And, and it was like, it just looked like a small town. I mean, that's how I remember it from a little kid mind. And I was little, I was like three. And there was a little diner, had a little train, choo-choo train that would go around the, the ceiling. You know, it was like just a, f- a couple stores down from the glass store. And I later learned that's Palo Alto, uh, which is now, you know, the Silicon Valley. It was still at the time, but it, I haven't been back in 30 plus years. So I don't know that anything that I'd remember from, from that point in my life is even there still. But there, there's all these memories of, of that, that era and that time, weird little quirky things that I recall things like, uh, going to Disneyland for the first time with both of them and waiting out for, I don't know if anybody's been there, but at Disneyland, there's a little like uh, changing area for the people who come out in the costumes and mom and dad had taken me there to, to wait for the, I think it was like Donald Duck and Minnie or somebody. I was, I was hoping for the bangers, the headliners, you know, I wanted Mickey Mouse, but I don't think he was there. He was still changing. Uh, and, and then I remember other little things. I remember trying to track down a Mario brothers backpack at one point, like uh, we were driving around and I remember we ended up in a hotel room and we'd found something like a backpack that was Nintendo <laughs> themed. And then, Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was popular at the time. And I got this little can of ooze that had a little glow in the dark uh, turtle in it. And I, there's just these snapshots. And I remember like the Comfort Inn we would stay at. There was a there was a place called the Bold Night that was on like the main drag close to where the North American agency or the terminal was. North American was at that point the company that my dad drove for. And uh, Bold Night was this cool fondue bar. And over the years, I, you know, I would we go back there? That was a spot. It was, it was uh bold night in the Denny's. And I, I wish I could remember the name of the road. I'd have to look it up at some point, but that was where all the drivers and, and this terminal was where all the van line drivers would congregate. So my dad was a van line driver, but also drove for Brown van and storage, which is a North American agency. And so he would do, he would do both things household for grandpa, but this high value product for uh, North American as a van line. And that's what San Jose was all about. And so he was transporting computers for IBM and parts for the Air Force. And he has funny stories about pulling his truck up in the, the desert and having his trailer unloaded with his mirrors blacked out. And like, it's like the middle of the desert and there's nothing there. And, you know, the mirrors come off and like, there's no vehicle. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no nothing. It's just, I guess a hole in the ground opened up or something. Uh, so like, there's, there's these snapshots, like I'm saying, of, of my mom and my dad together. I remember going to Santa Cruz for the first time and stepping into the water and the sand and being freaked out by that. And, and I was also like, this is like the height of the era where I was sick all the time. And no one really knew about allergies too much back then and asthma. And on the flight out one time, I was sitting on, uh, what should I call it, uh, the wool, wool seat covers. And we got off the airplane and the backs of my legs were just raw and had hives on them. It was just, it was just a constant adventure to see what was trying to kill me in the world. And, you know, it wasn't easy for everybody to deal with me. And I had ear infections when I was very little too. So I ended up having to go to deaf school when I was about four and five to learn how to speak because when I was developing speech, I couldn't hear anything correctly. So I wasn't deaf. I just, my ears were plugged up with infection and shit. So what I thought was speaking wasn't. And so I spent years 
in front of a mirror with a like, with an actual language coach, learning how to place my tongue in the proper place against my teeth, shape vowels, the whole the whole nine yards. So this is this is all before I was five. Uh, you know, had had a number. I, I mean, I had seizures when I was little, um, a colic. It just I was a bubble kid and. I became aware of this pretty, pretty quickly, you know, at five years old and five is where it really starts to get vivid. And, and five was like the best summer of my childhood. My dad had uh, done this thing where there's a company called ABB. They're still around and they, they do like robotics and um, computer programs for paper mills, uh, computer, computer processing and setup systems and that sort of thing. And at the time that was really new. This is 1990. And so what my dad had done was sort of coordinate this, this project where they retrofitted a 53-foot trailer like you would normally use to haul things. And they put a mainframe in this thing. And um, it, it straight up like had, a, had the software and the computer that would run one of these mills inside of it. And we would take this trailer around to all these different paper mills and you would park it and they'd open the awning up and they'd get a, a couple grills out and start making steaks for all the guys in their lunch hour. And they'd walk people through to show them, you know, the future, basically show them the computers and all this stuff. So prior to the ABB tour, I'd been to San Jose and I'd been on the truck every once in a while for smaller things. But this was like the first you're going to be gone for a couple of months during the summer. And I was beyond stoked. I was really, really excited for this. And I still had to do, I kind of carry like a big ass nebulizer with me everywhere I went. Still had to do that. And uh, that was, you know, I think a couple times a day. But I didn't, you you get used to shit, you know, especially as a kid. I didn't pay attention to it too much. It was just, you you don't know what your existence is outside of that kind of thing. I didn't know about, I didn't know that the speech therapy was weird. I didn't know that the nebulizer wasn't normal. I, I didn't have other kids around. I was an only child. So there was nothing really to compare it to. So I was pretty stoked, honestly. I, I didn't really know that there were, I mean, I had a lot of discomfort in my life, but <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just, that's just what it was. So that summer, I mean, there are paper mills on the East coast and we went to Maine and stuff, but most of the paper industry is in the Northwest of the United States. So I even had a weird moment this summer when I was going up North to uh, visit mom and Dan for a little bit where I realized that, well, I, I went to across the Lolo pass when I was doing this and I realized that I'd been on that road before. And cause I thought I was like, Oh, I've always wanted to do this Lewis and Clark trail. And that's pretty cool. And I'm driving on it and I'm having these moments where I'm looking at the corners and the river. And I realized I've been there before. And it was during the ABB tour with my dad. So we, we ended up in Portland. We, we went to Lewiston, which is what I realized later after talking to him. And we, we, we like would stop every once in a while when we had the chance. And that's, you know, that was the summer that I mentioned, we went to Mount St. Helens for a day and uh, the salesmen that were with us from ABB had all pitched in. they got me a pair of Bushnell binoculars and there was a museum or is a museum down at the base of Mount St. Helens that we went to and you got to go out in an observation point and I got to look up at the mountain and my binoculars. And I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And the, there was just something about that part of the country that resonated with me, the mountains, the rivers, we have hills and we have creeks and streams. And I guess you could say muddy rivers in Ohio, but it, it it's not majestic for a lack of a better term. There's something just soul filling about the geography of the West. You know, the younger mountains that aren't worn down like the Appalachians, the sharp, rigid peaks. These are the things that I saw in the truck. And I mentioned, you know, the Mojave in California, and I liked those places, but it just, it compared nothing to Western Montana, Northern Idaho, Eastern Washington you know, North, uh, Northeast, Northwest Oregon. This was the, to me, this was the place that 
you you go. I, I didn't understand what had happened with Manifest Destiny in the 19th century, and I didn't know about all the all the American history that led up to us being on the West Coast. There was just something about it that made me, in my like being, even as a little kid, want to be there. And so that that was that first trip, and there was this. It was a, it wasn't there were adventures, you know. Dad would often say that, you know, most people don't pick their careers, their their careers, the careers pick the person. And he was an example of that. I mean, he he knew that's what he wanted to do. And he was excellent at it. I can't remember how many millions of miles he ended up totaling. He still technically has a CDL, but I think I think it was three million that he hit. I'll have to ask him. But if there's anybody in my life that taught me what I was telling you about, like with the the stoicism, the do it the right way, even if no one's looking, it's dad. And I mean, it was everything. Like you think of a truck driver and usually that's somebody who's slobbish, overweight, uh, just kind of like not well put together. Dad had iron slacks, tucked in collared shirt, you know, and he and he worked. It wasn't like he just showed up and pulled the truck in and let somebody else do it. He was he was doing everything. He taught me how to load a truck. He taught me how to do household. He, <laughs> I, I sucked at folding, but we would always try to fold the pads and keep them all like the, there's a weave in these pads and they kind of go in a zigzag. And if you don't fold them correctly, they're all kind of mismatched. And so <laughs> I would have to, part of my job when, was with folding the pads. It wasn't just folding them. It was making sure it was, they were folded the right way. And then you, of course you had like the straps for uh, decking and keeping everything, you know, secure. And I'd, I'd roll those up and, you know, these are little things, but they're, they're, they're little things that add up. And, and dad was always wanting to run a tight ship. And so he was always, you know, one of the things that he also used to say that I, I definitely live by is early's on time, on time's late, late's unacceptable. So if he was going to show up somewhere, you know, to meet a shipper, if it was 7 a.m. and he said he was going to be there at 7 a.m., he would make sure that he was there at 6.30. And, you know, that was that was the hammer lane. That was, you know, he left lane hanging. And so there wasn't there wasn't really so much of so much of me and my in the way I do things is informed from just sitting next to him in a truck because it's you want to talk about an allegory like driving a truck, you know, you're just going forward. You're going in a straight line. You're getting from point A to point B. You're trying like hell to do it as fast as you can and legally because you getting to that point means you get a chance to get back to another point, which means you get a chance to earn more money. And he was, I mean, he was the driver's driver. And, and if you asked anybody who was driving for North American at the time, I think, I think they would agree with that. And he knew all those guys, you know, there was a small little club of these HVP drivers back then. My, my <laughs> large group of my uncles, like Ben Ben and uh, John Rayleigh, Uncle Al, Al Lewis. Uh, these are, these are the people that helped raise me, you know, like once my parents split sheets, I, I don't know if it, you'd say half the time was split with everybody. I, I was at grandparents. I was with dad sometimes I was with mom sometimes and when I was with dad it was always with this uh motley crew of of my uncles these other drivers and local guys and San Jose was just I mean it was like a convention of of wild personalities and even as a little kid I just I just couldn't get enough of it I, I couldn't drink up enough experience and I I, I thought I was going to be a truck driver when I was little I really thought that's what I wanted to do and and to be totally honest, it it probably I probably would have been really good at it just because I'm obsessive by nature and I'm like him. And I I mean I just drive for fun now. I you know twelve hours in a in a in a vehicle is nothing for me. So I look back in all that time and it's 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 again strange to think about it uh, from the perspective of a thirty seven year old well thirty six technically thirty six year old adult. Because I had experiences that most people don't get until their early 20s. Like you're, you don't sit around with a bunch of salty truck drivers until 
if at all, but you don't do that until like you're in the workforce. And these guys were my babysitters and, and they were, they were amazing babysitters. And I don't know that if dad realized it, you know, he'd gone out and he'd gotten all these mentors for himself. And that's how he became such well, one of the reasons why he became such a consummate driver. But all these people that I was being brought around, they were all from different places. They all were from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, just different experiences in life. And so not only was I traveling around the country and seeing all these different places, the same, same, but different, but I'm, I'm interacting with people who I wouldn't meet in Ohio at uh, elementary school, you know, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, or Westerville, where I grew up in that period of my life was about as wonder bread cookie cutter as you could get. And, and here I am out on the road covering thousands of miles a summer and I'm meeting, I'm meeting everybody you can imagine. I'm seeing America. I'm, I'm experiencing people who are first generation immigrants. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing people who are, you know, they're working for a living, but they're making a great living. But because this is the, the upper echelon of, of this industry. And I, I don't want to get too specific about, about numbers here, but my dad was making above six figures in the eighties as a truck driver. But that that's the hammer lane though. And, and the thing that I saw more than anything was that like, there's kind of a cost of doing business. If you're going to, if you're going to do it like that, you, you, you are going to be gone for things. You are going to miss out on certain stuff because if you're, if you're, if you're making that kind of living, you're doing it 350 days a year, at least, at least 300, you know, but I'd have to ask him to know how exactly how many days he was gone. Cause there'd be times where he'd call my mom and there was a Kenworth dealership. When I was a real little, we lived in a place called Hilliard and there was a Kenworth dealership, not very far away from the house. And he, and it was right off of 270, which is the outer belt in Columbus. And I, sometimes in the middle of night, my mom would wake me up and would drive me over to the Kenworth dealership just so I could see dad as he's passing through. And that was, that was my childhood for a long time. You know, it just, it, it's again, it's, it's like the nebulizer and being sick. I, I didn't know that this is not the way kids, most kids, like what their childhoods were like. And it wasn't terrible. It was actually kind of amazing. I, mean, I loved it. I would have, I would have liked in hindsight, it would have been nice to find a way to have more stability prior to, to moving out to Idaho. But I don't know how there could have been, you know, just with the way things shook out with being between two houses. I mean, I'm the cliche divorce kid of the nineties, you know, you're bouncing between households. My dad's gone on the road still at this point in time a lot. So I'm, if, if I'm going to be with my dad's family, I'm, I'm just with my, my Butch and Judy, which that was fun. And that was amazing. And Butch and Judy would drag me around and take me to all sorts of cool places uh, like uh, the Henry Ford museum or, we just go drive and grandma and grandpa Rayleigh, my, my mom's parents were the same. We would just kind of go to Amish country or just go explore. And that was kind of the theme with everybody is, you know, you just kind of go ramble a little bit. And it wasn't until we moved to my mom and I moved to Idaho that there was a bit of that stability where it was just like, Oh, this is just existence. Like if you're going to be at a house, <laughs> you'll, you'll be here three weeks from now, four weeks from now, you're not worrying about where you're going to spend Christmas necessarily, if how you're going to split that up, how you're going to have, you know, somebody at Christmas Eve, somebody at Christmas Day. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing to have to live through. Uh, it's not, it, I don't know how, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because it, it's just, that part of it is just, is what it is. Meanwhile, I was just watching everybody this whole time and just learning what I could and especially when I got, I mean, when I got to go out in the summer time with my dad, that was just, that was, that was it for me. That was the, that was the best time. Cause it's uninterrupted. And, you know, like I said, it's, you're not staying put, obviously you're, you're going all over the place, but those were like, every time I get in my truck, my Toyota now, I think about my dad, I have a manual just because I was so enthralled with hearing him shift and listening to the RPMs of the, of the, of the Kenworth and the Caterpillar and my, and this reinforces the West thing, but 
the I, I don't know how to I don't know how many of you drive a lot or take road trips, but every every evening, you know, if you're going west, the sun's just setting and you're just watching it for well as long as as long as that little transition's happening and you know usually we'd be listening to Sawyer Brown or Clint Black or George Strait maybe and it was just it was just that was my time I, I always made sure I was up in the cab with dad just listening to music and we would go hours without talking to each other which is also kind of funny to think about uh a six-year-old or a seven-year-old just quietly staring out of a window uh but every time I go on a little road trip or a ramble on the weekends, I always try to, I try to time it so that I'm coming back and I'm having to at least drive in the westerly direction just so I have that, so I can have that, that moment and it can remind me of, of that time with my dad. And I carried that through my life. You know, when I was a Starbucks store manager, the early on time thing was a big, a big thing for me grandpa's if you got time to lean you got time to clean and and grandpa's and this is another thing that people don't really think about my grandpa was a is could be however you want to say it a pretty gruff individual individual like he's scary to some people he was always my grandpa though he was a big teddy bear to me but i saw him you know put the hammer down occasionally but i also saw him at home and i i heard him talking to my grandma and so if you were going to go out in a truck at brown's and say you got back at 2.30 or 3 o'clock and usually you try to time it so that like the person's not working past five, you get the job done quick or quicker, you get back. A lot of guys just wanted to go home at that point. And what my grandpa would do is say, hey, well, you guys can go sweep the warehouse. Everybody thought that was a punishment for some reason. What my grandpa was saying is, hey, if you want free money for two and a half hours, I will pay you to just go sweep the floor. Because that's what that's what happened to him when he was little or not little, but when he was younger, when he was trying to start his family. And, and there was this, always this misinterpretation and the eye rolls and like ah, and people saying, you know, no, Butch, I'm just going to head home, crack a beer. And I know it bothered my grandpa because he wasn't articulating what we're talking about, that he's trying to help them. He's trying to give them more. It, he he later admitted to me that, you know, it would keep him up at night thinking about how they're going to keep the lights on, how they're going to make sure that people are getting paid. You know, when you own a business, it's not, it's not all fun. In fact, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of incentive to own a business, which <laughs> I have a lot to look forward to with starting uh, Code of the West, I guess. But, um, you know, the hunts, the hunts work, man. And that, and that was, that was all my childhood. Like if you, if you were going to go hang out with grandma and grandpa hunt, if you weren't going to go with grandma, you were going to go with grandpa. And that meant you're going to go to work, which I loved work too. Brown's was like a small version of San Jose at that time. There were a lot of local guys and they'd all know me since I was a baby. And, you know, my grandpa would have me sweeping the floor and, you know, doing odds and ends stuff. Eventually in the summers, I was big enough that I looked like legally 18, even though I was not. And they'd throw me on trucks. But that was actually how I started saving money for getting a vehicle. But, you know, like there was there was a 50-50 chance that if you were going to leave the house with my dad or my grandpa, that you were going to end up at work. And you just kind of knew that. That was just kind of accepted. And and I I really value it because I I, I got to watch both of them do their thing. And it's really hard for us to turn things off. And, and all the, all the hunts will, I think, admit that, that, you know, work is, work is what we, we are in a lot of ways. Uh, it's what defines us. Brown van and storage wasn't just a family business. It was the manifestation of the family. And, you know, I, at certain points in time, I thought maybe I could participate in it in a, in a, in sort of a generational way. But I think just it, I'm on a different path and that's, that's, that was kind of hard to accept because I want to, I always wanted to be accepted and I always wanted to know that I could keep up, but I also wanted to do these other things. And, and I, when given the chance to move to Idaho, 
I'm the one that chose to move to Idaho. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be around my family. It's just that I wanted, I wanted to try something new. It was scary. I mean, can you imagine being nine years old? And I don't, I don't, I don't regret being the one to choose. And I don't regret having that onus placed upon me, but I wasn't joking when I said my mom asked me if I wanted to go and wouldn't have taken me if I said no. So I have to own the fact that as a child, I chose to leave everything behind and go with my mom across the country to a place where we didn't know anybody just because I was enthralled with this idea. And, you know, now in hindsight, I'm looking at it and I'm like, God damn, that is, that's just the story. That is the story of the West. You know, you leave the East you leave the safety, the security, the comfort, the established, and you go and strike off and see what you can do. And I'm sure I would have had a great life or a good life if I'd stayed in Ohio, but I don't know how it would have been different. I just know that me sitting here right now talking to you would not have occurred. It would have been a completely different path in my life. And I think choosing to go to Idaho was the first hard step in my life where I had some agency and I, I chose for some crazy reason, the, the hard choice. And they just got easier after that. And, and I, I still have repercussions from that. I mean, I, I don't see my family in Ohio that much, especially during the pandemic. It's been prohibitively expensive to fly. It's also a pandemic and it's been pretty breakneck at Black Rifle. But like I said, I'm a hunt. I kind of, I kind of live for work. I, I live to go a little bit further than, than what a normal person would do. And at various courses in my life, that's bit me in the ass. It's also benefited me. I've come to know real cowboys, people who work the land, work ranches, understand that background. I mean, I've talked to you about Dan a little bit, but there's nothing to me more emblematic of, of, of the pioneers and of the cowboy myth that we think of than truck drivers, at least that era of truck drivers that I'm, I'm speaking to, the generation that my dad came out of and my grandpa. Because, I mean, th these, are, these are guys that are doing things with just the knowledge that they have. There's, there's not a lot of technology at play at this time. There's just truckers' atlases. There's no GPS. It's my dad remembering weird little side roads when the roads are blocked, you know, the highway shut down and he's got to get, you know, from point A to point B and has no time to lose. There's just this sort of like uh, tribal knowledge that was passed down in the way they conducted themselves, the language that they used. I mean, good God, talking on the CB was so fucking cool. You, Channel 19 was what the truckers would use most of the time. And I, we would just sit and listen to it. And, you know, you'd be you'd be getting information about, uh, you know, uh, traffic up ahead from the guys going the other direction on, on the interstate. You would have people telling you where the Smokies are. There would just be conversations with guys that you were you were running with people that, you know, maybe like, there was a couple of times where like Bim Bim and Scott Bauman and my dad were driving and it wasn't like a convoy. But, you know, they were all going in the same direction for a while. And so. This is before, I mean, we had cell phones, but these were like, da those were dash phones and it cost like $2 a minute. So as long as you stayed within range of each other, you could talk in the CB. And I, it just, I mean, there's just terminology and, and, and the CB handles and the, the, the protocol of transmitting, ending the transmission. It's just cool. It, I thought it was really cool. And to me that they were, they were cowboys. They were, they were just running the Pony Express basically. And, and they were a little bit cowboy about it there. I mean, running multiple logbooks. Again, you want to talk about things that are taken for granted. Even now, even now, what is asked of truck drivers to accomplish in order to get things from point A to point B, like your deliveries to Amazon fulfillment centers, for instance, or Walmart, there is some fuckery at play. Those, those drivers are tasked with basically doing the impossible because of the oversight that that they have to contend with. And I don't want to I don't want to say or I, wanna, I don't want to talk about too much inside baseball, but it's kind of known from the DOT, Department of Transportation, 
and highway patrolmen and that kind of thing that like there's there's multiple logbooks and there's multiple ways of working around things because we wouldn't get the things that we are are demanding of of supply chain and infrastructure without people who are willing to do that. So think about that. There are thousands of people and trucking is the main way that most things are delivered still, by the way. Uh, there are thousands of people willingly to committing. They're breaking laws every day just, just to do what we're asking of them. Do we know it? Do we say thank you? Nope. We just keep wanting our Amazon deliveries in 24 hours and we don't care how we do it. And I, I like my Amazon delivery. Don't, don't get me wrong. I use the shit out of it, at least a black rifle. Uh, but, you know, these are these these are these things that I'm talking about where we we take we take each other for granted a lot of times and we don't know how our world works. And so we can't be informed about how we we want to, I guess, run the infrastructure. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm talking about laws. I'm talking about policy. And if you're not informed about these things, how can you, how can you really have a leg to stand on? And so with truckers, and it's changed a lot, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the cowboys that I grew up with anymore. Those guys have retired. It's pretty on the rails. Now you basically just got swift and these companies that are, they're transportation and brokers, but they're basically just leasing trucks to people. And the CBs are basically gone. I mean, they're there, but Everybody's on cell phones now and on Bluetooth talking and you've got ways notifying you of speed traps and traffic jams. It's all still there. It's just the charm and the romance is a little bit, you know, removed. But at the end of the day, these are still people that they keep everything moving. They, they keep it going. And God, I mean, I don't know how many people actually realize that. You know, we just see them in traffic or we try to pass them on the interstate and we don't really give it a passing thought. But these these are the people that keep it going. Without them, we have nothing. We don't have groceries. We don't have building materials. We don't have fuel. You know, it's not like there's a pipeline running from oil refineries to every gas station in the, in the country. That shit is shipped in by truck. I don't know if it's going to really be something that people want to buy or invest merchandise in, but at some point after we kind of get code of the West rolling, I really want to do shirts that, that kind of talk about this sort of thing. I want to do truck driving shirts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if Cowboys make me happy, truck driving makes me happy too. It, it's, it's like my happy place. And like I said, it's, it's, it's where I go back to in my childhood. It, it's like the purest memories that I have the best purest memories that I have are on the road with my dad. And I want to, I want to share that with people and maybe also get some people, more people to watch smoking the bandit. I've actually paid for people to watch smoking the bandit. Caleb, who I work with at black rifle uh, used to work with in the art department. Um, he'd never seen smoking the bandit and I, I actually bought it for him just so he could watch it. <laughs> And it's, man, it's one of my favorite movies. I used to watch it in the back of the truck going down the road. If I wasn't sitting with dad in the cab, I'd be watching it in the back. And I'd probably watch that movie, oh, man, at least three dozen times, if not more, just over every summer. And can still quote it. Love Jackie Gleason. Love Jerry Reed. Actually got to meet Jerry Reed. Dad took me to the Louisville Truck Show, which is like the biggest truck show in, in the United States. And Jerry Reed was signing at someone's booth. It might've been international or something. And we got there late and he was gone. And I, and also I was so young at this point that I thought Smokey and the Bandit was more like a documentary. I didn't know that it was a movie movie. So I thought we were going to meet Cletus, the snowman, as he's known in the movie, not, not the musician turned actor, Jerry Reed. So <laughs> I was super disappointed my dad was disappointed too. And when we got to the table and they're like, he just left. You could probably, he went this way. You could probably catch him if you go. And so we haul ass and we had this like little flyer that we grabbed off the, off the table. And I think we found him like walking right off the floor, like into the bathroom or something. And my dad just was like, Mr. Reed, 
you know, I'm so sorry to bother you. My son's a huge fan. I'm a huge fan too. You know, could we get an autograph? And he's like, oh, sure, sure. Call me driver. I mean, like I was, I, I didn't say anything. I was start, I've never been this starstruck in my life. And I met other famous people now. But I mean, most of you probably don't know who the fuck Jerry Reed is. But I mean, I, I thought I was meeting, I thought I was meeting Cletus. I thought I was meeting the guy in the movie, not the actor playing the guy in the movie. And I think, I think my dad still has that somewhere in storage, uh, hopefully. But, you know, I, I even thought about doing a comic about truck drivers at one point, kind of doing like a soft, uh, unofficial sequel, modern take on Smoking the Bandit. Uh, and I really, honestly, if you haven't seen this movie, it's, it's horribly politically incorrect. It's, it was written and directed by a stuntman. You know, this guy had never made a movie before. I think he'd been a stunt coordinator on Gator with Burt Reynolds. And then they were like, fuck it. Let's just make a movie. And it ended up, I think it was like the box office winning movie for the year in 78, I think it was. I mean, it made like a shit ton of money. And it was not expected to be anything. But Burt Reynolds was hot shit at the time. And who doesn't love Burt Reynolds in the 78 Trans Am and Sally Field and Jerry Reed and Jackie Gleason. It's just a great movie. I love it. It's very quotable. Give me a Diablo sandwich and a Dr. Pepper. Make it snappy. I'm in a goddamn hurry. Like it just, it, It's just, I fucking love it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that I want to explore more. I, I might even bring my dad and Austin. I, my brother Austin drives now, too. And he, he and my dad actually started a new business uh, that focuses on agricultural feed for farms. It operates out of Ohio. So Brown still exists, but we're not like a North American agency anymore. And it's mostly local, local stuff with Browns. And then, uh, this company Kalmbach is the feed company that, that Austin had a connection with. And he, he made this whole thing come together. And I think they got like 12 drivers now. And, like he, he was, he was the one to actually do it. Like I said, I, I thought about it. I wanted it to do it, but I wanted to do, to do these other things, but shit, Austin was, I mean, he was living and breathing trucking since he was a baby. And, you know, I'd go back to visit in the Christmas time or summertime and they'd set up a little, uh, trailer and like a, like a hot power wheels in the, in the, in the, uh, the warehouse where he could practice backing up. I mean, he was like five years old practicing how to, how to back up uh, a one point trailer. And I mean, he's, he's my, even my dad will say he's a hell of a driver and they ended up getting a 1980 Kenworth here, uh, W900 about, uh, God, two, three years ago, they've been getting that thing up and running. So basically it looks like the smoking the bandit truck. It's not painted the same way. It's burgundy red, but it's got the splitter on the shifter on. I mean, it's, it's fucking cool. And, uh, so yeah, so they're, they've got this whole new thing going and, and it's continuing in my family. I'm, you know, I'm over in Utah doing black rifle, drawing comics and sharks with Sasquatches riding on them. And they're actually making sure that America gets fed, but I try to do my part. <laughs> so, but I think they might be good ones to, to get on here and talk to, you know, at first, if I'm going to bring other people on just because it's, you know, there's the mutual understanding the background of the family, but there's also just a, a lot of things I don't know about what that business looks like now. Cause I, I've never participated in it at all. Brown's I was around since I was a kid and there was so much knowledge that I, I gained from that, that I, you know, I was able to, at one point I needed to get a job and I just walked into a North American agency in Boise and I was like, Hey, grandpa owns Brown van and storage. I need a job. I can do household. And they were like, cool. And I like, they tossed me a shirt and I was working that day. So like, you know, there's, there will always be a need for someone to carry a heavy thing. <laughs> that's something that I learned pretty early. And that's always, a, that's always been my fallback. If shit went totally sideways, I've got a few more years of that. Not too many. Uh, I'm starting to feel the miles now, but uh, you know, I, that, that all, that all went away. You know, it's, there's no over the road drivers anymore with Browns. My dad, every once in a while, will take a long trip. We went down to Texarkana actually a few years ago, which was kind of fun because if you've watched Smokey and the Bandit, that's where they drive to to pick up the Coors. 
And then we ended up stopping in Nashville on the way back to Ohio. It was, it was cool. So I think it'd be interesting to get them on and just talk to them and, and sort of get their perspective on. I talked to Austin today, actually, because uh, he, he'd listened to the first podcast, which surprised me, actually. Uh, I didn't know anybody was paying attention to it. And luckily, he, he, was, he was cool with it. He was stoked. And so we're, uh, I don't know, I think it'd be cool to kind of get a better insight into what they're doing. And maybe that will be interesting to all you. I don't know. I mean, like I said, this is going to be sort of an experiment in a lot of ways. And I just want to see, I'm, I'm personally interested in, in learning more about what my family does. And maybe you guys would be too, because it just, you know, just give you a chance to kind of understand some of the challenges that, that come into play with, with doing a job that is absolutely necessary, but is almost impossible to do the way you're being asked to do it. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'm probably going to hit the pause button on doing a bunch of podcasts. It's, I'm having a blast just talking and I promise not all of these will just be about me, but I wanted to get that thing about truck driving out. I wanted to talk about my childhood a little bit more just to give you a slightly more context of what you're working with, the craziness that is Chris Hunt. And, uh, you know, just kind of, it's nice to feel like you, you got the chance to, to let people get to know you. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I think I'm a pretty open book, but there's not really a reason to talk about these things in, in normal life. And I wish we all could. Uh, I don't know if we all need to have a podcast or want to, but uh, it's, it's kind of cathartic to be able to get this stuff out. Cause I mean, certain people know certain parts about me and I think people put the pieces together, you know, if you let people into your life, but it's people draw all sorts of conclusions about what they just, what the information is that they have in front of them. And I think for me, you could just assume, and people have for a long time, oh, he's an artist, he's a writer, he's, he's going to be this type of person, he's going to have this kind of personality. And it was always really important to me to, to try to dispel that notion, because I'm not against art or being creative. I love that stuff. It, it's, it's what drives me. But, but it's through the lens of what I'm, I'm describing to you. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I don't think that you can, you don't, you can, you can have worked hard, you can sweat it and bled and still make art or make music or build birdhouses. I don't, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever gets you off and throws your hair back. And I think that a lot of times we get caught up in this idea of you've got to be this one thing. You know, if you're, if you like this thing, then you have to like this kind of music and wear these kinds of clothes. And it's like, nah, fuck that shit. You, you just, you can, it, life is a, life's a buffet. You know, you don't have to eat everything on there. You can pick and choose. Some days you want vegetables, some days you don't. Doesn't mean that you're a vegan. Doesn't mean that, you know, I don't know where that analogy was going, but <laughs> I think it works enough to get my point across that like, you don't have to be completely homogenized in these things. And it took me a long time to to learn that and accept that and feel okay with it, to be able to, to be exist in multiple worlds, to have a business mind and also be creative to have grown up blue collar and also be able to sit in a room with executives and, and hold a conversation. And that's okay. You know, it's just, you're just you, I'm just me. I'm just the sum of all these experiences and, and things that I've learned. And you don't really have to put a label on things all the time. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, I kind of buck in this modern age is, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of caught up in this idea of grouping together, you know, that, if you think this way, well, then you got to agree with these other tenants. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I agree with one of the things that you're saying, but I don't agree with 10 or 12 of them. And I don't, I, I resent the fact that I have to, I have to either be excluded or included in something just because of one thing that I believe I'm, I'm an a la carte objective person. And I, like, again, like I said, it took me a long time to get okay with that, but it's actually quite easy. You know, once you, once you start operating that way, you just evaluate things as they come in and, you know, you evaluate the information and the experiences. And if something's not good and something doesn't work, toss it out, move on, keep going, learn something new, get more information. But, um, you know, life's boring when you're just doing the same shit all the time and listening to the same people in the same echo chamber. And I think it's, I think it's kind of cool to, to be, 
to wear many hats. And, and that's something, again, I've learned at Black Rifle. There's other people. That's part of the reason why I feel like we're all the aliens on the spaceship together is you can have somebody who you could assume is a knuckle dragger, you know, somebody who's a, a very high performing, high speed tier one operator at a different point in their life. They might love sitting down and having a conversation about Joseph Campbell and uh, the golden ratio. You, you know, it, you just you just don't know. You, you have to you have to meet people on their level and engage with them. And hopefully people will do the same for you. You know, that golden rule of treat others the way you'd want to be treated. And that's that's one of the tenets of the code of the West is is the golden rule. And so if, it, if there's anything that I leave you with, I think it's don't feel like you have to be one thing just because someone told you you needed to be or because you agree with certain parts of it. And and don't don't look at other people the same way like that. Don't don't automatically put people in the same box just because of a sticker on their car or, you know, piece of music that they listen to or uh, a job that they had in their past. You don't know everything about somebody. It, I know, I know it's an old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover, but I think it's in an age where we are flooded with information. We, we're, we, we don't take the time to really learn much about the people around us. We just, we just look for the signals or the qualifiers on the, the Instagram accounts or Twitter, see what people are posting on Facebook. And, you know, yeah, you got to own what you put out there for sure. But it's been my experience that if you dive or if you dig a little bit further into these, these people's backgrounds or people that you might disagree with, you're going to agree with them on certain things. So anywho, uh, take it for what, what, what you will, uh, in my rambles, <laughs> but, uh, like always, I really appreciate you taking the time and listening. And I, I hope I hope you get something out of this. Uh, I certainly do. And I appreciate it. And when I have more information about the drop, I'll let you guys know. But like I said in the last one, it's pretty straightforward. It's going to be February 3rd, 7 p.m. Not a whole lot of stuff, but in, there'll be some stuff. So <laughs> keep your eyes peeled. And uh, we, I actually, we, we are starting to finish up buttoning up the e-com site which i'm excited about so uh, that'll be that'll be something i can i can talk to you guys about later but it's going to be a tight ship even though it's a small ship so <laughs> i'll talk to you soon and thanks again